let me just say uh, that I am truly thankful to be able to be here uh, standing behind this pulpit today and uh, with the thought and, and desire to uh, proclaim the Word of God to you. And I want to give all praise and glory to God for His grace and His um, help and His restoration. I have truly uh, come a long way, and I want to thank so many of you for your prayers. I also just want to say uh, from the bottom of my heart um, that I deeply regret uh, Joyce and I will not be here this coming Wednesday because I think one of the highlights of the church year, at least in our experience, has been the service of Thanksgiving. And uh, some of you maybe are in the habit of coming. I encourage you to make sure to come again. If you've never come or you're not in the habit of coming, I urge you, carve out time in your schedule to come and join with other believers. There is no long sermons. There are no long um, liturgies. It's, it's, it's a time of giving thanks. Come and bring your sacrifice of thanks to the Lord. It is a very moving time. People are talking about very significant things that have happened in their lives it, it, it collectively, it just, it's a ministry to ourselves and to God. And so I just would urge you, 7.30 this coming Wednesday, please don't miss that. The only reason we're missing is because we bought tickets a while ago to go see our kids out in Illinois. They can't get to see us very easily, so we have to go see them. And uh, so we'll be with them uh, during the holiday. Let's uh, bow in prayer. Our Father, as we bow before you today, uh, we have already been encouraged, Lord, to rejoice in you. We've already been reminded, Lord, that uh, although we may suffer, that there are reasons, Lord, to find joy in our Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered for us. And through his suffering, Lord, we know that you, the God who is so great and so mighty, you have come down into this world and you have joined us in our suffering you're the one who has created us, and then you have also, by your grace, you've recreated those of us who are believers, you've given us new life in Christ. And so, Lord, we surely want to be a people who learn to thank you and who have thankful hearts. And so today we ask that you would help us as we look into your word, that you might minister to our hearts. Some of us, Lord, have become maybe a little cynical. We've had uh, times in which we've sort of lost track of how to give thanks when we have so many things that we're struggling with. So we ask, Lord, that you would give us insight into your grace and your goodness during this time as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you would say that you know what God's will is for your life. Can you confidently say that you are certain that you have a clear idea of what God's will is for you tomorrow, let's say, or next week, or next year. Often when we hear the term God's will, many of us in our minds, we move in the direction of thinking about guidance over some significant decision that we have to make, a decision about where to go to college, or uh, who to marry, or should I sell my home, or should I sell my, or buy a car, or whatever. But what I have in mind this morning when I use the term, the will of God, is not those kinds of decisions. I have in mind the revealed will of God, the moral will of God, the will of God that God's made very clear in His Word. 
and made known in the scriptures. We find a number of commands that are given to us as a description of how we should conduct ourselves if we are to be a people who desire to respond and act right before God. And there are a number of these verses. I won't take time this morning to survey them all, but just one of in particular is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Very clearly, explicitly, and indisputably tells us what God's will is for his people. He says this, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's very clear. Believers need not wonder if God wants us to be thankful or not. He has made that crystal clear. So why... Why was God then wanting us to be thankful in everything? Now, this could be sermon number one, and then there could be sermon number two, which is Psalm 138. So this is going to be a mini bullet point insights that I thought found to be very helpful as to why is God placed such a high priority? Because if you keep reading scripture, there are many different exhortations and commands to be thankful unto God. Why is that? Is God egotistical? He just needs to hear people keep thanking him. Is he insecure? Please hear me say clearly, of course not. That's not the reason why. I would suggest to you God encourages us to be thankful because he knows that we are out of sync with the rest of his universe because we know that in heaven there is nonstop Endless, continual giving of praise and thanks to God 24-7 all the time. And for us not to be participating in that is to show that we are really out of sync. We're not really lined up with how God has ordered the universe. So much so that when Jesus was here on earth, he said if human beings did not praise and thank God, he said the stones of the earth would cry out in our place. I'm going to take just a moment here and acknowledge that there are many people among today's population in our world who have received a revelation from God and they see that God has revealed himself in his creation. It is indisputable. It is evidence that there is a God, there is a creator. And the scriptures say and remind us that many people choose to suppress that truth. They, they push it away and say, I don't want to deal with God. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to acknowledge that there is a God. I'm just going to live my life the way I want to. And Scripture tells us in Romans 1 that there are people who refuse to honor God and refuse to thank God, and they'd rather worship creation than they would the Creator overall. And that's obviously a terrible symptom of every unbeliever is that they're known and characterized by an, an ungrateful heart toward God. But I want to speak today this to those of us who claim the name of Christ and who are being urged by God to be thankful. I want to give you several real quick bullet points here. They're in your notes. I think there are five of them. This is taken from an article from, uh, by Susan Lutz called Thankfulness Even When It Hurts. And she provides five reasons why being thankful actually is something that helps us. It's actually for our benefit, not, not to mention appropriate toward God. Number one, being thankful reminds us that we are not alone. 
we're not alone. We're living in the presence of God. And the more that you've learned to be thankful and notice God's mercy shown to you on day after day, you're reminded that God is active in your life in little ways, in big ways. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's just a bullet point. Number two, being thankful helps us to start seeing life differently. You gain a new perspective. You see life now through God's eyes as opposed to just your own perspective. You see, nothing happens in life that God cannot use redemptively to help us grow and understand him better. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Number three, being thankful helps us defeat Satan. Why? Well, Satan's strategy is to, is to urge us to doubt God and to question God, to turn away from God. And I wonder if there aren't some of us here who, if we're honest, would say that we are those people who very quickly and very easily find ourselves descending a staircase of negativity in our life. It doesn't take much for us to begin to go down those stairs of negative into further negativity into further negativity. And we find ourselves looking at what's wrong with everything in the world and having a very hard time finding anything good about life. Being thankful is a way to break out of that and not let Satan have the victory of leading us in the basement of doubt and of discouragement and even depression. Number four, being thankful promotes spiritual growth in our life. It does that by being a preventative against a number of other sins. This is a fascinating point. I wish I could expand it further, but, but think about it for a moment. If you are a thankful person, even in a small way toward God, if you're looking for things to be thankful, isn't it likely you're going to be less fearful of your circumstances because you are thankful? Isn't it likely you'd be less cynical, less sarcastic about your response to things that happen in life? You're going to be, it's going to be much more difficult to be bitter and unforgiving against somebody or to be hopeless or greedy or envious if you're thankful and your heart is warm toward God and being grateful to the things that God does extend to you. There's a lot of truth to that. And again, very quickly, number five, I'm moving right along here. Being thankful helps us to link our life to God's promises. In other words, being thankful helps us interpret our circumstances in light of God's faithfulness. And so the more I'm thankful, the more I'm realizing God is keeping his word to me as I see him showing me his faithfulness. I've included in your notes a quote by Elizabeth Elliot. And this is, I think, a helpful little insight she has about thankfulness and its role in the life of a believer. She says, Thanksgiving is a spiritual exercise necessary to the building of a healthy soul. It takes us out of the stuffiness of ourselves into the fresh breeze and sunlight of the will of God. You know, if you're like me, we have to be honest and say that our thankfulness is sporadic at best. It's occasional, not all the time. And for some of us at worst, it's non-existent. But in being honest about that, we can be honest and say our hearts are not grateful as we know they should be. And it's our, one of the reasons why is because we struggle to make sense of our circumstances. 
we are struggling to interpret and to come up with reasons why God is doing a particular thing. Why is this happening in my life? And so easily we, we draw the conclusion, this is a bummer. This is no good. This is, in, this is a dead end. This is a very bad path to be on. And so today is a call for us to remember that God obviously deserves to be thanked. It's helpful if we are thankful, we, we can ourselves be helped. Our, our acknowledgement, we want to acknowledge that our hearts can oftentimes become consumed with ourselves. We tend to fall short in not offering thanks to God because we're so caught up in, in looking at life from our limited perspective. And so I want, to, I want you to hear today that there's some good news for those of us who struggle with thanksgiving. <clears throat> and I'm in this category, so please hear me say that. The good news is the gospel brings hope to thankless people. <laughs> Jesus died for ungrateful people like you and me. People who fail to live according to his will, who don't appreciate him and all that he does and all that he has given to us and all who he is. And it's God in his gospel through Jesus Christ that's able to change our hearts from being self-focused and being sour and perhaps all the time sort of focused on what's not right with the world. He can work and change our hearts through his gospel to make us increasingly conform to his will and more and more able to ex exhibit the fruit of thanksgiving and gratitude to God. God can do that in your life. And that's why I'd like to make some suggestions on how God can do that for those of us who do struggle, and we do. How do we fertilize the soil of our hearts so that thanksgiving more likely is growing out of our hearts on a regular basis, not just when you get a promotion, not just when you ace an exam, not when you just get a good night's sleep, but how can we develop a thankful heart on a, that, that exhibits itself on a regular basis? Let's look at Psalm 138 together as we examine this interesting Psalm of David, page 754 in your pew Bible. Really, there are three insights here I'd like to look at in developing a humble and thankful heart toward God. The first is found in the first couple of verses. I will give thanks, David writes, with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy temple. Give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth or your faithfulness. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you did answer me. You did make me bold with your strength, with, with strength in my soul. My first point here in looking at this text is that a thankful heart toward God is rooted in humble reflections of sincere worship. That, that gratitude in our hearts is not just going to come automatically out of our hearts. I don't think so. I think David here realizes that He's been meditating, he's been reflecting, he's been thinking about some very serious things about God, and, and um, he's not just giving off this thanksgiving because he's had an enjoyable experience. Because I think sometimes that's when we find our hearts overflowing with thanksgiving, when you graduate maybe after a long haul of uh, academic training. Maybe you've had the electricity off for a long time, and you could think, oh, We've got the power on again. Oh, it's so great. I'm so thankful for the power we have. Isn't that great? Remember we had uh, Hurricane Sandy? Maybe you had a grandchild. You're so thankful for your grandkids. For some of us, they're so happy for Chick-fil-A is on the island. I mean, people get, 
People are thankful for all kinds of things, something new, something exciting. But how do we have a, a heart that's thankful, that gives thanks in everything? It's not just in experiences that make us excited. I think it's when we have to engage our minds in remembering and in reflecting on who God is and what God does. And I think that's what David's been doing here. David had taken the blinders off of his limited sight and he had begun to expand his horizons. He's begun to realize more and more who God is. And he had been meditating upon other portions of Scripture and in uh, things about God that he knew to be true. Instead of just looking at life from the limited point of view of our dreams and our desires, David now has been able to give wholehearted thanks to God, verse 1, not because out of thin air he just decides, well, I'm going to give thanks to God today. No, he's been meditating on the wonders of God's unfailing love. He's thinking about how God loves him, and that love does not turn his back on his people, as David had seen many people do that to him. And apparently, as you keep reading there in the first couple of verses, David had been praying to God, crying out to him. He had seen God answer that prayer. And so he takes note of that and says, oh, Lord, you've answered this prayer. I'm so thankful. His heart was saturated with scriptural reflections about God. I would suggest to you, it's interesting that this section of the Psalms is a section that has a number of uh, Psalms written by David. And you'll notice, uh, for example, if you turn a page or two, um, Psalm 139, David wrote about God's being with him all the time. There's nowhere where he can go. There's no place that he can possibly go and be away from God. God is always with him. God's knowledge of him is so intimate and he uh, put David together in his womb. In verse 14, I give thanks to you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I think if you take time to meditate on your human body, the more you learn a little bit about how the human body works and functions, your heart should be so thankful. It's amazing how incredible the design the human body is. And I say that as a non-medical, I'm not a, a bio biologist, I'm not a person who studied it, but I've learned enough in the last few weeks to know there's a lot of things going on in the human body that we take for granted. We don't appreciate God's handiwork. And if you look further on in Psalm 145, another Psalm of David, just further page uh, or two across, he begins to meditate on the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great and loving kindness, verse 8. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. His mercies are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. And then look at 13. He says, your dominion endures throughout all generations. He talks about the kingdom and how he realizes God's kingdom continues on. He meditates on all sorts of aspects of God. And from that, here comes his heart of thanksgiving. David gained an accurate view of God, not on his experience and his interpreting his actual uh, life um, experiences, but he interpreted, understood who God was based on God's self-revelation in the Word of God. It's a big difference. David understood that he is not at the center of the universe. That's why he was able to, he says in verse 1, 
He's bowing himself, he says, before the temple. He's saying, look, I am not the king of the universe. You are. I am one you've created, and therefore I understand. I am one who is sustained and kept by you. I am merely your creation. He reviewed again and again the long list of mercies and blessings that God had bestowed upon him and his people. He appreciated the fact that God had not treated him as he deserved. If you look at Psalm 144, another Psalm of David, he talks about the fact that, Lord, help me deal with, um, uh, he's obviously up against a dangerous situation. He's, he's up against uh, some of his enemies. And so it's interesting to hear him acknowledge verse 3. Oh, Lord, what is man that you do take knowledge of him or the son of man that you do think of him? Man is like mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Do you ever stop to think about how weak you are as a human being? How so quickly we can go from being healthy and strong to be a person who is extremely weak and very much hanging on to dear life? I've been there. I realized what that was like in a powerful and very dramatic way. And I'm convinced that the more we meditate on God's greatness and our dependence upon God, the more our mind can be focused again on reminding ourselves we are sustained by God daily, by, day by day. And I would say, again, read Psalm 103 if you want to get further reasons as to why you should praise God and be thankful to him as those are all listed there. One of the things that I've been doing since I um, had my... Um, uh, aorta issues is that I started reading a book about prayer called A Life of Prayer, A Praying Life, excuse me, by Paul Miller. And he talks about one of the best ways that he's learned to avoid developing a heart of cynicism where you don't pray, so you sort of deal with life on your own and you sort of assume that God's just not very active in life. He says he, he does this by Avoiding cynicism by reflecting on God's shepherd care for him every day. He says he wakes up and he begins to review yesterday. And he says, I'm thinking about what God's work in my life was. He, he watches how God is at work in his life. He looks for God helping him. He reviews the touches of grace from the previous day. He doesn't force himself to be happy. He doesn't force himself to sort of thank God and try to create and make up things. No, he takes time to reflect on the previous day. What, where did God show me mercy? Where did God show me his care? Where did God lead me? Where did God show me his goodness? It helps to restore the natural order in his life of learning to be a dependent one upon God, a sheep who needs his shepherd. And he says that has helped him see life as it really is because he says that is my life. I am dependent upon God day by day. Well, I could say more about that. I want to move on to my point number two here. And that is that a thankful heart toward God humbly trusts God's promises, resulting in hope and a passion for God's glory. Now, I think the background and understanding of this psalm, Psalm 138, is best understood if you were to read and understand clearly 2 Samuel chapter 7. I don't have time to go into a whole full uh, explanation about 2 Samuel 7, but that is a passage of Scripture. I would urge you to write down in your notes. And that is where 
Samuel brings a word to David and says, listen, God is giving you an amazing promise. He is promising you that your offspring is going to build a house for me, house of worship, which was obviously Solomon. And then he says, and I'm going to build from your household a lineage of a kingdom that will last forever. And this kingdom that will come from you is going to have a king who's whose reign will last forever and ever. Now, clearly that's not Solomon. He's referring to the Messiah. He's referring to Jesus Christ. It's the Davidic kingdom that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing promise of grace, an amazing expression of, of blessing upon David that he has given that honor. And in the background of all this, in understanding that this great promise of what's happening going to happen in the future someday, David, I believe, is now filled with a sense of hopefulness. He is now realizing what he sees around him now, all of these wicked kings who are defying the God of Israel, who are so proud of their um, palaces and their armies and their treasuries, David is saying, oh, I'm longing for the day when all the kings, all the great and mighty rulers of the world will someday acknowledge the King of kings and Lord of lords, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's longing for that day when God is going to finish his work, when the King of kings and Lord of lords will one day be acknowledged for who he is by all the people of the earth, even the people who are so high and mighty. It's really a a pre-echo of the gospel promise about Jesus Christ, isn't it? Who, even though he was the king of kings and the king of the universe, he humbled himself, Philippians 2, right? Humbled himself to be that lowest position, even lowering himself to not only being a servant, but to dying on the cross in shame as a criminal in dishonor. And then, having done that, he has been highly exalted by God the Father, Given the name that's above every name, which I think is the name Lord, which means master, means king, the great one. At the name of Jesus, every knee, including all of the kings, all the rulers of the world, they will one day, what, bow down. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That kind of hopefulness, that kind of looking and anticipation, David has filled with hope because of the promises of God. And I would suggest to you that a thankful heart is a heart that so easily sees and finds and blends in hope into your perspective of life. Those of us who tend to see life from a negative point of view, who end up seeing the cup half empty, we tend to primarily maybe get focused on what's wrong with the world we easily lose sight of that final consummation, the final conclusion of God's great plan of redemption. Sometimes we need to be reminded what we're seeing in this world, and there's so much that's wrong in our world, isn't it? I mean, don't we just feel the sense of the weight of what is so awfully out of order in our world? From the, from the killings in Paris to, to, to disasters, to, to corruption, to you name it, terrorism, all these things. And we have to remind ourselves of what? God's reliable promises. God is still on the throne. And that God, as one who's on the throne, as the king over and ruler over all, he does not lose sight of his little people. 
But sometimes we think, well, God's you know, got all these big things going on in the world. He doesn't really care about little people like you and me. But look what he says in verse 6 of Psalm 138. Though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. <laughs> what a great reminder. The underprivileged, the oppressed, the nobodies of the world in the eyes of the great and mighty, they sometimes can easily get pushed aside. I think that's what's going to happen more and more to Christians in our world. We're going to get pushed aside. But look at verse 8. David is confident that God will accomplish what concerns him. Some of us, I think, struggle to thank God because we go to times where our plans are hijacked. <laughs> the things that we thought were going to happen, we find ourselves going down a path. Instead of going this direction, we're going this direction. And we're saying to ourselves, what's with that? This is not what I thought was going to be happening. Things are going from bad to worse. We begin to doubt God's wisdom. We wonder whether or not God is guiding us. And I'm convinced when you look at verse 8, David is really saying what Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 6. David says, The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Paul says what? I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will what? Will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Rather than doubting God's wisdom, rather than doubting God's sovereignty, rather than doubting God's love, we are urged to rest in the promises of the gospel. Colossians 2 says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so live your life in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with what? Gratitude. So the more that we are rooted in Christ, the more we'll see the fruit of gratitude come out of our hearts. I've been thinking back to the time when I was in seventh grade. And my father, who um, loved maps and loved to plan trips and loved to take our family on vacation, planned the ultimate vacation trip for us. Uh, in, in taking our station wagon and the six of us all together from West Virginia to California by car and all the way back. And he had plan he planned out how many miles we'd go per day. He planned out which national parks we would see, which sightseeing we would do. He planned out this whole thing. I, I look back and I still am amazed at what all he did and the amount of resources he invested to make that, make that happen. Now, along the way, there, we had some some challenges. A couple of times the car broke down. A couple of times we got lost. A couple of times there were issues of things that uh, we couldn't continue on because it wasn't available at the time or whatever. And I can remember being broken down, you know, in the middle of nowhere, waiting on somebody to come and stop and help us. We didn't have cell phones back then. And never once did I doubt that my dad and his wisdom would get us back home to West Virginia. Yes, there were detours. Yes, there were delays. Yes, there were things that we didn't, we had to face that were difficult. I remember one time my father is climbing up Half Dome uh, on the backside of Half Dome. You literally pull yourself up on these cables and there's these little boards where you sort of step every so often and it's very steep. And my brothers have already taken off and gone up there. My dad's climbing up. I'm, I'm keeping up with him. And he gets lightheaded. And he's about ready to faint 
and we're halfway up this thing, and I'm hanging on to him for dear life. I'm hanging on to this cable, and I'm praying, saying, Lord, help us. Help us here. And I can remember all kinds of things that happened that were scary along the way, but never once did I doubt that my father would make sure he'd wisely get us back home at the end of that trip. And I think that's sort of what we need to have in terms of our view of God, looking at God's plan of his salvation. That if God who says, I foreknew you, is the God who predestined you, is the God who called you, is the God who justified you, is the God who's committed to sanctifying you, he's the God who will glorify you one day. And you can be confident that the work he's begun, he will complete. And therefore, we should be thanking the Lord all the more for his amazing work of redemption. Here's one of the things I'm also reading every day, a, a brief reading from a book called A Gospel Primer, P-R-I-M-E-R, by uh, Milton Vincent. All he, do, all he does is he takes the gospel and just breaks it down into different aspects, like a diamond, just looks at it from this angle and this angle and this angle and this angle. And it's just very helpful reading with scripture uh, showing where he gets those ideas from at the bottom of every page and just read a page or two every day just to remind you of look at the amazing work of grace God has done in the gospel. It's very uplifting. Makes your heart swell up with thanksgiving every day. These would be a helpful way for us to have more hope and more gratitude in our hearts. Real quickly, let me bring my third point. As you can tell, I've had six or seven weeks to prepare this sermon, so I'll give you, you know, lots and lots of uh, content here. Sorry if I go real long here. Third point, thankful heart toward God is humbled by suffering, which I believe can be used of God to help heighten our gratitude. And I get this from verse 7. Psalm 138, verse 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you Keep me alive. You revive me. David is writing this psalm of giving thanks to God, not somehow shielded from problems and heartaches and difficulties that you and I face in life. He is writing this, giving thanks to God in the midst of problems and difficulties and challenges. Look at verse 7. Walk in the midst of trouble. What kind of trouble is he having? Well, in, his, in this situation, he has enemies. He says later on there, um, verse 7, he has enemies who are out to get him. This could be either King Saul, could be his son Absalom, it could be the Philistines, it could be a number of people. And a number of his psalms that he wrote, David wrote them on the run. He wrote them hiding in places in which he's trying to escape. This person is trying to kill him. And his heart was pained, obviously, by the disloyalty of those who at one time were his friends or his, his loyal son or the, the king over his, his nation. And here these people are out to kill him. Relationships that fell apart. So I want to say to those of us who are walking in the midst of trouble, I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you, asking, are you saying to yourself, how can God expect me to be thankful? When I've got this, 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 and this, and I've got more of this, this, and this problem. Let me just say, God works in mysterious ways. And while none of us can honestly say that suffering itself is enjoyable, no one will admit that. We can say that suffering, I believe, in the scriptures is compared to like a chisel in the hands of a master 
sculptor who is ever so carefully chiseling away, chipping away our selfishness, chipping away our impatience, chipping away at our pride, and so many other character weaknesses that are still found in us, including ingratitude. Now, one of the things I noticed when I went through this medical crisis that I've been through is early on I learned when I'm in that emergency room in New Orleans, they did a CAT scan of me and came back and they said, you've had a very serious rip in your aorta. And had that rip been in the vertical part of your aorta that goes up and feeds your, your head and your arms, your outcome would not have been good. Right at that moment, I realized my life could have been over. I realized at that moment, God had given me life and had sustained me. And I began to realize in a fresh and vital way, every breath, every moment, every heartbeat, every hour is a gift from God. Now, I knew that in my head. But let me tell you something. I know it now in my life in a way that's much more profound than in the past. And when I began to realize my life could have ended, had not God kept me alive, as he says here in verse 7, I have found myself less likely to complain about little things. I'm still impatient. I'm still, I'm still working on my patience, but I am not complaining about little things like I used to. I find myself praying more. I talk to God a lot more than I used to. I find myself realizing that just taking simple things in life, like being able to take for the first time a simple walk around the circular hallway of the 16th floor of Stony Brook University Hospital, taking a walk was such a huge blessing. It's amazing how one's perspective changes through suffering. Several days after my surgery, I was reading a blog online of this guy who is a worship leader, and he was talking about uh, his elementary age daughter um, had, had recently had a new coat, and so she puts the new coat on. She stands, look, Dad. And so he looks at his daughter, and he says, I have loved and appreciated my daughter every day she's been alive. He says, but I am so impressed with how beautiful she is, and I appreciate her all the more as she's wearing this new coat. He says, it's the same way in which he says, that's what happens in our worship. He says, we appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, but there are moments in worship when you say, I appreciate him all the more as I learn to realize what he's done for me and the wonders of what is now I can enjoy because of Christ. And that has happened in my heart in ways that I cannot fully describe. It's also happened in my life because I began to learn to appreciate my dear wife. There were times where I couldn't even express to her how much I appreciate her because I'm crying so much. The same is true with my children and their spouses, with you, my church family. I've learned to be so much more thankful for amazing blessings that God has afforded in my life. Now, will I always be living maybe with this high level of appreciation? I hope so. I can't guarantee it. My heart does become very much focused on myself. But here's what I'd like to suggest. If you ever read through Paul's prayers in the New Testament, 
as he's praying for these believers, and some of them have really been, I hate to say it, they've been a, a sharp elbow in his side. I mean, they, the, the Corinthians particularly have been very difficult to deal with. Invariably, every time he mentions praying for his fellow believers, he says, I thank God for you. I thank God for you as I'm praying for you. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Philemon, verse 4. Here's what I'm saying. I'm hoping that if God puts you through, if he does have you through at a time of suffering in your life, I pray that God will show you that he's teaching you many lessons of appreciating little things, appreciating the people around you, appreciating the things that God has sometimes has afforded you that you've overlooked for a long time. And in so doing, as you walk down that path of trouble, I pray that your level of gratitude and your assurance of the promises of the gospel will become so strong that you'll be able to say along with Paul these wonderful words. The sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's yet to be revealed in the sons of God, in the children of God. That there's so much yet to come that God is still working in ways we don't fully see. And let's give him thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I know that I've been thanking you for these experiences I've gone through here recently. Thank you, Lord, for bringing me down to a lower level, to humbling myself, helping me to see, Lord, more clearly the glories of Christ, to appreciate all the more the wonders of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for helping me see more clearly the the blessings of the people that you've put in my life, of every moment of life you've extended to me, and of your healing and restoration. And Lord, I pray for those of us here today. I don't know what these folks are going through, Lord. I don't know what kind of sufferings. I don't know what kind of heartaches they have. Maybe some people are living on easy street right now. But Lord, I pray that you would develop in all of us a heightened sense of our gratitude toward you, as we realize who you are, what we deserve from you, and what we've received instead. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to treasure your promises, to find hope in those promises, and Lord, that your, your work of grace might make us a people who are able to truly say, we thank you, O oh God, for who you are and all you're doing in us. We give our life to you. We surrender to you. And we acknowledge you to be sovereign and good and full of love, steadfast love. We give you our praise this day. In the Christ's name I pray. Amen.